Um, the reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, on page 967 of the Bibles in the Church. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt round his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. As usual, please keep the passage open in front of you, page 967, and let me lead us in prayer uh, uh, as we're going to be looking at that passage together. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us, help us to be ready to listen to you. We praise you again for your word that has been breathed out. Thank you that every word of scripture is from you. And therefore it is a great privilege and a great joy to take up your word and to read it, have it read to us. And so please would you help us to listen and to respond. Amen. William Booth, who was the foundation, founder of the Salvation Army, uh, who died in 1912 said this, let's have it up on the screen, Toby, can you move us on, that's it. The chief danger of the 20th century will be, now I wonder how you might have 
uh, how you might have completed that sentence, given that we're in the 21st century, uh, what the greatest danger of the 20th century will be and what he thought it would be. Maybe you would think, well, the wars that were going to come. Maybe it's other things that you would think of. What did he say? The chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, and heaven without hell. Now, there's quite a lot in that. But what he's saying is that he thought the greatest danger for the 20th century was a form of Christianity, something that presents itself as Christianity, but it's had its core taken out of it. It's had its, its heart taken out of it. It's just a fake. It's a, it's a pretend thing, but it presents itself as Christianity, a hollow shell of Christianity. And notice that within what he says there, you've got that line, Tabes, if we can have the, the next line, that's it, that it's forgiveness without repentance. He's saying the, the, the church might proclaim a kind of Christianity which says you can be forgiven, but you don't need to repent. You don't actually need to change. You don't need to do anything. So our question this morning, as we come to the passage in Matthew 3, is... Is repentance necessary? One prominent voice in the Church of England recently has said that she has good news. Repentance is not essential for salvation. But actually, that's quite a prominent view in many churches. They may not express it explicitly, But the idea being that, well, you don't really need to change. Repentance isn't necessary. It's a good thing, but not necessary. Well, the big question is, of course, what does the Bible teach about this, about repentance? Well, have a look at Matthew chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Now, we're uh, about 30 years on after chapter 2 that we've been looking through. 30 years later, and we come to John the Baptist, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John says to the people in his day, Repent. Well, you might say, that's John the Baptist. He was a fiery preacher with a weird diet and strange clothing. He was just a, a, bit, of a, a bit of a one-off. Okay, well, what about Jesus? Just keep a hand in Matthew 3 and just turn one page to Matthew 4, verse 17. Jesus begins his ministry here, and what does it say? Chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Do you notice it's exactly the same as John? That Matthew has recorded it with exactly the same words. In other words, Jesus' message is exactly the same as John's message, and it begins with, Repent. 
Now, again, you might say, well, yes, but what about after Jesus' death and resurrection? Maybe that changes things. Well, I won't get you to look it up, but in Acts chapter 2, Peter addresses the crowd on the day of Pentecost. Big crowd. He talks to them about Jesus. And they say, what must we do to be saved? And the answer from Peter is, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, repent. So, John the Baptist says, repent. Jesus says, repent. Peter says, repent. Repentance is necessary. But we need to understand it better, don't we? We need to understand what is repentance, if it's so necessary. What is this repentance? And this passage in Matthew 3, do turn back to it, Matthew 3 helps us with that. We're going to think about three things. Real repentance, false repentance, and repentance and being washed. And you can find those on the back of the notice sheet if you want to follow through those headings. So first off, real repentance. Verses 1 to 6 show us real repentance. We've already seen John the Baptist is in the wilderness of Judea. And just let me read you again what he said. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John is telling us that repentance has to do with the kingdom of heaven, isn't he? This is what in other Gospels is also called the kingdom of God. And John and Jesus after him talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. What is a kingdom? Well, a kingdom is uh, a country or state or territory which is ruled over by a king or queen. Well, the kingdom of God isn't a geographical area, but yet it is ruled over by a monarch, isn't it? But ruled over by God. And John is saying the kingdom of heaven is coming near. What does that mean? How is it that the kingdom of heaven is coming near? Well, to answer that, we can just go on a little bit further. Matthew t explains things for us, doesn't he? He's done this before. Verse 3, he says, This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes from Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So Matthew is telling us that this is who John is. He is this voice calling in the wilderness. I mean, he's literally in the wilderness. And he's calling out. And in that quote it says what, what he calls. He calls out, prepare the way for who? For the Lord. That is, for God. So, John's message is, the kingdom of God is coming near. And Matthew's telling us, yes, this is the one from Isaiah. And he is the one after whom will come the Lord, God. And of course we know who this is, who is coming, don't we? Uh, we've already seen it in Matthew, through the Christmas narratives, we see it is Jesus who is coming. Jesus who, when the Magi came to come and find him, said that they were looking for the one who was born 
king of the Jews. This is the king of God's kingdom. This is God himself come to us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So how does the kingdom of God come in the person of Jesus as he is born on earth and then as he ministers on earth? And John tells the people... In the light of that, in the light of the fact God's kingdom is coming, that the Lord himself is coming, and we know it's Jesus, in the light of that, you need to respond. He doesn't just say, God's coming, it'll all be all right. And he doesn't say, as some mockingly have on their t-shirts, Jesus is coming, look busy. No, he says the right response, the necessary response is repent and to repent is to turn around to do a turn of 180 degrees now to do that you've got to recognize the call to repent is one which says actually you've got to recognize you're going in the wrong direction you're going in the wrong direction and you need to stop turn around and go in exactly the opposite direction the call to repent is not merely a call to change a few things in a person's life. It is to make a dramatic, drastic, 180-degree turn. And we see this in the passage by the way that people respond to John and what John does. So verse 4, you get the description of John, and it looks a lot like Elijah in the Old Testament. We're not going to make a big deal of that today, but it is significant. Verse 5, you see where people are coming from. They're coming from all over the place to come to John. And verse 6, we see what happens when they come. Verse 6, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. They were confessing their sins. They were saying, God is coming, and I need to admit, I have been going in the wrong direction. I've done this, I've shown this by my life, by the things I've done and thought and said. And I need to confess that, I need to say, I've been doing this wrong. And they were baptised, which is to say, I need to be washed clean of those things. In fact, it's saying, I need to come into God's people again, I need a new beginning there are a couple of things that point you in the direction of, uh, of them saying actually they need to become God's people again. After all, these were the Jews. These were people who would have said, yeah, we're God's people. But yet, where's John doing these baptisms? In the Jordan River, which was where the people originally came into the land when they were set up as a nation. It's like he's saying, you, you know you need to come in again. And baptism wasn't a new thing. No, it happened before, but it wasn't Jews who were baptised. In the past, it had been those who weren't Jews, who wanted to become Jews, wanted to become God's people. Those were the people who would be baptised. And so John is saying, you know, you Jews, you need to be baptised. You need to come in again. You need to start again. You need to be washed clean. 
I hope you see that this call to repentance is far more than just stopping doing bad things and starting doing good things. It is a fundamental change of heart, a change of kingdom. Don Carson, who's a Bible scholar, said this. I think I've got the quote to come on the screen. Have I got the quote to come on the screen? Yeah, there we go. Don Carson, a great Bible scholar, he says this. What is meant by repentance is not a merely intellectual change of mind or a mere grief, still less doing penance, but a radical transformation of the entire person, a fundamental turnaround involving mind and action. That turning around, going from seeing you're a rebel outside God's kingdom to turning to him and coming into Jesus's kingdom, that's repentance. It means bowing before Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are now my king. Now, as I said, uh, repentance is essential to becoming a Christian. Imagine meeting someone who claimed to be Scottish. There are many people who claim to be Scottish and are. But imagine you meet someone who claims to be Scottish and you talk to them and you see, you think their accent doesn't sound Scottish. It sounds decidedly English. And you ask and you find out they've never, never even lived in Scotland. Never visited Scotland. None of their relatives are Scottish. They don't even like rain or midges. And you're very suspicious of this. You think, you're not Scottish? You naturally want to ask, in what way are you actually Scottish? No, you're not Scottish simply by claiming to be so. So too with being a Christian. We aren't Christians simply by claiming to be Christians, by ticking a box on a census. No. We need this fundamental change, don't we? That's what Jesus is saying. That's what John is saying. We aren't Christians simply by claiming to be, but by repenting. And therefore I need to ask, have have you repented? Have you confessed your sins to God? Have you confessed how you've lived in rebellion against him? Turned to him and submitted to Jesus as your king? We all need to. That is real repentance. And immediately we see people who have got this wrong in the passage. And so we're going to call this false repentance, although we could call it false religion, I suppose. Uh, False repentance, verses 7 to 10. Here come the Pharisees and Sadducees, who I'm sure went out wearing their robes and their finery. These are the Jewish leaders of the day. And it says in verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. Uh, Notice they're just coming out to him. They're not necessarily coming for baptism. It seems they're just coming out to see what's going on. Lots of people are going out to this John the Baptist guy and they just want to check him out. And they would have been highly respected leaders, religious leaders. And John the Baptist gives them a mouthful, doesn't he? Verses 7 and 8. You brood of vipers 
who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What is it that the Pharisees and Sadducees have got wrong? It is that they have not repented. And you can see that because they don't have the fruit of repentance in their lives, John is saying. Repentance, you see, will always change a person. Going from the kingdom of self, where you're king of your life, to the kingdom of Jesus, where he is king, where doing that 180 degree turn will produce a change in, in someone's life. And we've already seen some of that change in the passage. You see some of it, part of the fruit is that confessing of sin to God and saying, I I recognise I'm a sinner, I've not got it all sorted. And John goes on, verse 9, And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. It seems like it was a common thing, maybe in Jesus' day, that people would say this. To say, well, I'm I'm a child of Abraham. I can trace my family line back. And therefore, I'm all right. I'm one of God's people, one of God's chosen people. John says, that's false. Don't assume tracing your line back to Abraham will do you any good at all. Repentance is needed. And so too for us. I wonder, it may be tempting for you to think, this talk of repentance, I, I, I don't really need that. Sadly, churches have often given this impression that repentance isn't really necessary. Talk about the love of God. Talk about many true things about the love of God. And often Christian leaders, I saw it recently, Christian leaders will talk about us all as being children of God. And there is some way in which we are. I mean, the New Testament does talk about us all as being God's offspring in that he created us. But I think that's very misleading. Because the Bible tells us that, beginning of John's Gospel, that it is those who believe in Jesus who are given the right to become children of God. We're not all naturally children of God in that way. But yet the impression is given that you don't need to do anything, that we're all okay, really. And therefore, actually, the message can come across, look, it's not just about if you can trace your line back to Abraham. Well, it's not that. It's that if you can trace your line back to, well, anyone, really. Everyone is all right, is the impression that's given. But John says to these people, don't trust in those things. I would think there are some here who will be saying, I don't think I need to repent. Can I ask, why not? Why do you think you don't need to? In what do you place your trust? Is it your nationality? Your parents' faith? That you go to church? That you were baptised? And therefore maybe you don't need to repent. But please, John says repent. Jesus says repent. Peter says repent. And John's warning is actually very stark to these religious leaders who don't think they need to repent. When he says in verse 10, the axe has been laid at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Don't worry, it's all all right. It's just a cardboard box that's fallen down behind the, the organ loft. It's fine. But it was dramatic, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry, the timing of that wasn't quite right, was it? It should have been when I said repent. Anyway, there you go. But no, the, the, the warning here is severe. It's not about cardboard boxes. It's about judgment, isn't it? That if we don't repent, we will face judgment. The last point. Repentance and being washed. John tells the people that turning to God in repentance is essential. We've seen that. Okay, we've seen that over and over again. You must repent. He says you need to repent. And then we see some people who aren't repenting. These Pharisees and uh, and Sadducees. But he also says, look, actually what John was doing was not quite enough. John was saying, repent, and the people were coming to him confessing their sins, and he was baptizing them, but he was saying, I can't actually do anything about this. I can't actually get rid of your sin for you. I can't actually deal with your wrongdoing. But he points beyond himself to another. He points himself beyond himself to Jesus, doesn't he? To the one who is, more, who is greater than he is. Verse 11. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John is saying the one who will come after, Jesus, is far superior to him in who he is and what he does. John's saying this one who's to come after who is Jesus is far superior in who he is. That is, John is saying, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. Now, that was a very lowly task, a very menial task. And yet John is saying, I'm not even worthy to do that for Jesus. Jesus is so much greater, and what he does is superior John baptizes with water for repentance, but he says Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, which means that what John's baptism symbolizes, Jesus will be able to achieve. John baptizes just with water, but Jesus with the Holy Spirit and fire. And a passage that John probably has in mind is in Ezekiel 36. We won't turn there. But in that, it speaks of uh, water and the Holy Spirit. The water needing for washing and the Holy Spirit for transforming hearts. And John is saying, look, I, I just do this symbolic baptism. It's, it's not insignificant, but it's something. But you need Jesus who can do the real thing in your hearts by his Spirit. It is all Jesus' work to wash us clean. Yes, we need to turn to him to repent, but he does all the washing. And only he can do the washing, because he's the only one who died for us to deal with our sin. Jesus makes the washing possible by his death and applies it to our hearts by his Holy Spirit. We repent, Jesus washes. Now, let's just deal with one objection quickly to this. 
Some, including that prominent member of the Church of England who said we don't need to repent or it's not necessary to repent, say that this teaching that repentance is necessary flies in the face of God's love being unconditional. That's what they say. That it flies in the face of God's love being unconditional because, they would say, you're including a condition. You've got to turn to God. You've got to repent to receive forgiveness. But they say God's love is unconditional. But hang on. Is it wrong to say that there is a condition? Is it actually wrong to say that there is a condition when it comes to being forgiven? Think about uh, some verses in the, in the Bible which summarise the gospel message. Think, is there a condition in here? So from John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Is there a condition? Yes. You've got to believe in him. Or another famous, famous call from Jesus is this. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is there a condition there? There is, isn't there? Come to me. You've got to come to me. You see, the gospel message does contain a condition. You've got to turn to Jesus. So I don't think it's helpful, actually, when people say God's love is unconditional. I don't actually think that's a helpful thing to say. It gives the wrong impression. It suggests I don't need to do anything. When we do need to turn to Jesus, don't we? But notice what the condition is. It is not a condition that wins or earns God's favour or forgiveness. It doesn't earn his favour. It doesn't win it. You don't merit God's, God's love or God's forgiveness through turning to him, do you? It isn't a condition like, sort your life out, then I'll forgive you. Or, uh, uh, or, or give away all you have, then I'll forgive you. No, it's not that. The condition is, come to Jesus. Turn to him. Any can do it. Confess your sins. Do the 180 degree turn and he will wash you clean. Which doesn't in any way diminish God, Jesus' love or his grace. He says for us to turn to him, that's all you've got to do. Turn to him, repent, come to him as your king and he will wash you clean. To use a different illustration from the idea of a kingdom... Imagine a, a married couple, a wife, whose husband has been unfaithful. And he has repeatedly, over many years, deceived his wife, gone off to be with his lover, and he is still doing so. And yet she says, if you'll turn back... I will forgive you and you can come back. That would be an incredible act of love and grace. 
Is she giving her husband a condition? Yes. But it's the right condition, isn't it? Come back. Turn back. And it isn't a contradiction. It's not saying that he earns his way back by turning back. Oh, if she'd said, oh, you can come back if you buy me a better house. Or you can come back if you crawl all your way from her house to mine. Then you might say, well, yes, he'd earned his way back in. It was a, a conditional kind of thing. But it's not that, is it? It's just saying, turn back. And the grace and love of that wife would be incredible. It's not diminished by saying, you need to turn back. Of course it's the thing he needs to do. And so too with God. In the Old Testament, God is often described as being like uh, a husband to his people who have been unfaithful. And yet he calls them back over and over again. And in his grace and love says, turn back and I will forgive you. And that's what he does to us. He pleads with us, he calls to us and says, as if that loving spouse of an unfaithful husband or uh, of the, as the gracious king that he is, he says, turn back, come to me and I will forgive. Is repentance necessary? Yes. William Booth was right and continues to be right. The greatest danger for the 21st century is religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, and heaven without hell. So let's hear John's call. Hear Jesus' call. Repent, turn to God, turn to Jesus as your king and let's keep going out to call others to repentance as well. Not with arrogance because we've needed to repent too but with earnestness and sincerity calling others to come back to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus' call, for John's call, Peter's call, the call of the whole Bible, that in love you call out to us to say, repent, turn back. And thank you that all who do can be washed completely clean by Jesus as he applies his spirit to our hearts as he applies the work of the cross to us, that we can be washed completely clean. Amen.